Well, this morning we're coming to the end of our uh, Lion Whisperer, not Lion Worshipper series, okay? Let's make sure we get that right. Not Lion Worshipper, Lion Whisperer. I've heard that. You think you've covered all your bases. Um, what, we, what we've mentioned from the beginning with this series, and I, we've posed a question that is key question basically to any Bible study, any, any text of, of Scripture at all, is a question you have to ask yourself is, why is this here? What is the purpose? Is its purpose to make us just entertain us? Is it, what, what, what is the exact reason it's here? Would the Bible be less if it was gone and it wasn't included? Why is it here? And so when we start talking about the book of Daniel, it has an incredible purpose because it's written to a very specific group of people going through a very specific thing, somewhat similar to us. In 606 BC, uh, Daniel and his friends were hanging out in Jerusalem. And they were just kind of just uh, enjoying life as it were. Jerusalem wasn't, they weren't doing their greatest. This was not their golden years as it were. But still, the temple was down the road. Their friends were next door. They knew how to serve and worship God in Jerusalem. The Mosaic Law System. You know, it said that 70% of the Old Testament Law System uh, cannot be performed if you're outside the Holy Land. But they're in it. They've got priests and prophets and judges and kings who all are supposed to be immersed with the, the, the law. The songs are the same. The holidays are the same. They know what they're supposed to do. But in 605, Nebuchadnezzar came through. And the first wave of exiles, he took them around 900 miles away to Babylon. And now they're hanging out in Babylon where the language is different, the holidays are different, the gods are different, they changed their names, now their names are different, the worldview is different, and they're asking themselves, how can I live for God in this pagan place? I knew how to do it back in Jerusalem, but how do you live for God in Babylon? And another question in the back of their mind is, is God still around? Has God lost? The Babylonian gods may have triumphed here, is God, God, if he is still around, is he just hanging out back in, in Israel and he's waiting for us? If we come back, he can be our God again, but, but he's left us stranded here in Babylon. And these questions are questions that are answered in the book of Daniel over and over again. As a matter of fact, there are principles throughout the book of, of Daniel, all 12 chapters, uh, that, that are for those who are in exile, like us, living in Babylon. Seeking to live for our God in a godless land. And so we come today to chapter 6. So if you turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6. We're going to jump right in. Actually, let's, let's start just a couple of verses behind that though. Uh, chapter 5, verse 30 and 31. Where it says, That very night Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. That was kind of where we ended last week. Where Belshazzar, the last king of of Babylon, uh, is uh, the the Persians come into the city. uh, Belshazzar is killed. And uh, Darius. Now, Darius is either going to be King Cyrus of the Persians. This is just his Babylonian throne name. Or Darius is... Uh, Cyrus's key general that led the charge into Babylon and Cyrus uh, blessed him basically by letting him be in charge of, of Babylon. Verse 1 of chapter 6. Now it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. 
The satraps were made accountable for, for them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Now at this, the administrators and satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Now, now Daniel had, had a job here. Very interesting. Daniel probably was, I don't know, probably. Maybe. I can see, though, where Daniel would be upset that, for crying out loud, how come I can't be a prophet like Jeremiah? Or like Isaiah. I mean, I know the word. And I'm godly. He's a godly guy. And I've got the gifts and I've got the ability. But here he is stuck in this secular job. And sometimes if you're stuck in a job you don't like, it's awful hard to do a good job in your job, isn't it? I mean, you've got to pay for the family. So it's all right. But, but Daniel. Daniel exceeded here. And he had a high-powered job, too. Uh, the, the, the satraps were like governors. And a governor's job was really threefold. He had to keep peace, keep everything under control. He had to um, represent the Persian interests well. And he had to collect taxes. That's what the governor's job was. Now, Daniel, who had 40 governors underneath him, it seems, he had to make sure all of his guys were keeping the peace. They were, they were uh, administering justice properly, whatever Persian law would say. Uh, represented the Persian interests properly. And Daniel had to make sure that they collected taxes properly and that the right amount of taxes made their way into King Darius's treasury. That was, Daniel's got a pretty high power position. And he's getting promoted left and right. Now this guy is, is 85 years old here. I mean, he's, he's, he's getting up there. But it would make sense why Darius the Persian would want somebody that the Babylonian people would respect and that they would be familiar with. And so he appoints Daniel, and he appoints Daniel, it says, Daniel distinguishes himself because of his exceptional qualities. Maybe your version says because of his excellent spirit. And you need to know what that does not mean. That does not mean um, his kindness, his gentleness, it does, like as a human golden retriever, you know, just kind of nice. And this doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean his aura. You know, he like walks in a room and he's just kind of radiating God somehow. We don't even know how. It's just, wow, Daniel's coming. Wow, I don't know. It doesn't mean those things. It, it, the literal translation is his spirit of excellence. And it refers to his work habits. This is, this is a huge principle. When you're in Babylon and you're working in Babylon... Often we want to make an influence, and we think the way to influence is we have to open our mouth first. The principle here is, no, no, work first, then, then words. Don't get that changed. If you get it turned around, it causes all kinds of problems. Work first, then words. You, you distinguish yourself by your, your work. Excellence is excellence in, in uh, attention to detail. And excellence is in uh, making sure that his governors are properly protected, that the people in his land are properly cared for. Excellence is that long-range planning and thinking. What might the ramifications be? Excellence is recognizing that if there has to be a decision make, you make it with the betterment of the, the organization in mind. Daniel is an excellent employee. He's not coming in late. He's coming in a little bit early, leaving a little bit late. He knows what the king wants. He's getting it to him in spades, under budget, at, underneath the right, the time zone. He is just knocking it out of the park. He's an excellent worker, Daniel is. Now, you need to know, 
As, as you look at that idea where Daniel may have got that, because I don't know if you're thinking about this, but the Persian Empire, the Persian government is not a, it's a good place to work. It's a pretty lousy place. They stand for some bad things. Like Babylon, they stood for some bad things. What's he doing? He should be trying to sink it, right, instead of, instead of help it. But Daniel knows something. Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 29, wrote these guys a letter. Now, Jeremiah and and Daniel, kind of contemporaries. Jeremiah is an older man. Daniel is a young guy when he goes into exile. But as soon as they go, Jeremiah, who stayed back in Jerusalem, writes these guys a letter who are in exile. And this is what he says. I'm going to read it from my text because my eyes are getting a little bit... uh, I'm getting old. But he says, this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. In verse 4, he says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, real important verse, seek the peace and prosperity of the city or the place to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now, when that letter comes from Jeremiah to Babylon, who do you think gets it? Well, well, we've already found. Daniel is going to be reading Jeremiah in chapter 9. Daniel knows this. This letter comes to him. And so he realizes that God has placed him where he's at. He probably would much rather be back in Jerusalem. He'd much rather be having a a ministry job, as it were. But, But here he is in this secular place. A couple of things, real important. Daniel realizes that God placed him where God wants him. The church has struggled over the years with this. We have separated the secular sacred kind of thing. It's if you're really spiritual, so you're going to go into church work. If you're really spiritual, you know what I'm talking, you're going to go into ministry. But if you're not, then yeah, those secular things will do. This is obliterated way back here. Uh, God calls us. Where you're at, where you're working, you know what? That's a calling. Daniel doesn't do a job. He, he performs a calling where you are at. That doesn't mean you're supposed to be there forever. But where you're at, God has called you there. And Daniel recognizes that. And this is interesting. Tell me if I'm wrong with this text. That Daniel's job, according to God, is that the organization prospers because of Daniel. And so Daniel's got to make sure that he does his job. Not for himself, not to get accolades, not to get the promotion, not to get the company car, not to get the right parking spot, not to get the corner office. But that they might prosper. Now, often, if that's how you're working, those things may come. They, they may not, but, but you're not working for that. You're working that they may prosper. And so Daniel is, 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 is knocking it out of the park. He's working with excellence. When, I remember my, my kids, when they were younger, trying to teach them do housework stuff. So, you know, you're going to need to go vacuum. Vacuum that carpet. Come to me after a few minutes. They say, yeah, vacuum the carpet. We're all done. I said, well, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. Let me, let me look. So you go look, and it looks awful. And you go, well, did you use the vacuum cleaner? Yeah, I used it. Well, did you plug it in? Well, yeah, yeah, no, I plugged it in. And so you, and the bag is full or the, the, the 
band is off or whatever. And you, you know what? The goal here is not to say, I vacuumed the carpet. The goal is not to run the thing over the carpet. The goal is a clean carpet. And I don't care if it takes you two minutes. That's great if it does or if it takes you two weeks. The goal is a clean carpet. The job is not done until it's done. So often with work, don't we want to just like punch the clock and we're just going to fill our time and whatever it is, is, and that's just an excellent spirit is to say, you know, the goal here is to do this well, do this better maybe than anybody else could do this. Do this in such a way that my boss knows. Again, if we get the words first, because we want to walk in and get the words, it's trouble, it's trouble, cause, cause grief. But when they recognize that we're not first about our verbalization, we're first about our industrialization, that earns us a platform. Daniel is going to have an incredible influence on Nebuchadnezzar, he did, and on Cyrus, an incredible influence on Cyrus. But he would have never gotten there had his work not represented his God. Now, work, work is two things. It's hard skills, they call it, and soft skills. Now, back in Daniel 6, what you got going on is you got some folk who are a little bit jealous. Not that that ever happens in, in our workplaces, but those guys are jealous and they decided that they had had enough of Daniel. And so it says, finally, as these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Now, let me ask you. These guys start looking. They take all of Daniel's work and they put it under the microscope. They get a hold of the timesheets. They get a hold of uh, uh, his HR file. They're, they're checking to see if he's coming a little bit late, leaving a little bit early, if he's ever been negligent with his work there, if he's ever cut corners, if he's ever, you know, cyber slacked, if he's, if he's ever, if he's ever, they're just checking to see if around the, the conversations around the coffee machine, if he's ever been disloyal to his company, they're, they're trying to get some dirt on him. It's like he's running for political office or something, and they just want to find something bad about him. But as look as much as they can, they can't. Now, let me ask, if in fact you had some people at your work, and they just, for whatever reason, is jealous of you. They just want to get you in trouble. And so they started looking. And they got your timesheets. And they got those things you shredded. And they got those things you deleted. And they got those things you tried to hide. And they also have, I don't know how they got this. They got your motivation and your thoughts on, on paper. They got those. As well as they've talked to everyone you've ever talked about, about your work, your loyalty to the place. Would they have anything on you? It's like, oh man, better find a new job, right? They're in a hurry. Now, or would they say, we can't because he's trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. He's doing his job right. He's doing it well. Soft skills. Soft skills, right? Hard skills are your competency to do the exact thing. If you're a surgeon, you've got to cut right and you've got to patch it together, glue it. I don't know what you do. You've got, you've got to do it right. Soft skills is how you work with the people. It's being in on time. Are you, are you high maintenance? Have you ever had one of these uh, co-workers? you had one of these where they are always Eeyore. You know what I mean? They're complaining all the time. They've got 35 reasons why it's not going to work. And they're always complaining the machinery's antiquated. And that vendor is a terrible person. And that boss over there is awful. And I can't believe that individual. And they just are negative, negative, negative. Also, when they see other people in the office, they might roll their eyes. They might say something subtly to a jab to try to hurt. They, 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 they just create division. Their soft skills are low. Do you want to work with those people? No. So often, and this is kind of just, I'm not thinking of anybody, please know this, but Christians often 
can walk into, I've heard, I've heard Christian employers say, I will not hire Christians because when they find out I'm a Christian, they try to take advantage of me, they're negligent, they're whatever else. Um, they, they're, they're quick with their talk and they're sharing all over the place. But after it's all said and done, I'm going to go bankrupt if they don't get some work done. Um, Daniel recognized that before I get my mouth going, shh, I've got to get my work. I've got to be distinguished by my ability. Christians should be the number one, at least the best to our knowledge, the best of our ability. Every ounce of, of, of creativity and, and, and passion for them, for the prosperity of our employer, not for me. That's, that's a huge issue, isn't it? Well, so... The administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king. They figured we got to, we got to hang Daniel somehow. He's going to be promoted ahead of us. That's not going to work. Hang on, let me back up for two a second too in this one, because I, I I need I need to to, to to say 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 this. You might be thinking, you know, um, you don't know my place of employment because my place of employment is Sodom and Gomorrah esque. You know, my place of employment is definitely not believer friendly. It's a troubled place. Let me tell you. Well, Ephesians 6 lets us know. It talks to us as slaves. And it says, slaves, obey your earthly masters. Notice what he says. With respect and fear and with sincerity of heart. It means inside as well as outside. Just as you would obey Christ. Obey them. Does it say when they're doing well? No, 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 no. Obey them to win their favor, not just when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. First Peter he takes this a little bit further, where he says, Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh, who have a mouth, who are mean, who are grumpy people, who are demanding. Submit yourself to those people as, if, as unto to Christ, even though Christ is nothing like that. Now, this question comes up on, on occasion when we're talking about our workplaces. So, so make sure, I want to make sure I'm clear. We need to separate primary and secondary issues. And what I mean by that is this. If I'm supposed to do a good job for my employer and do what my employer and help his business profit and all those things, what if my employer asks me to do something illegal or unethical or unbiblical? Well, we find from Daniel... That you say no with respect, but you can't go down that road. You can't go down that road. But but secondary is if your employer's not asking you to do anything illegal or unethical or unbiblical. Other people in the office are, and the company may even with their money. But you don't have to. There's that division. I mean, do you think the Persian government was, you know, the the Boy Scouts or something? These guys were, were in trouble. They they had all kinds of horrible ventures. And you got to know that the, according to their annals, the government's offices were uh, terrible places. There was violence and there was hostility and there was backstabbing as we see. And there was straight up perversion on a regular basis. Some things just never change. This is, is what was. This is the environment Daniel lived in. But he was able to draw that difference between primary and secondary things. They're not asking me to do anything illegal yet or unethical or unbiblical yet. Uh, so I'm going to give it everything I have. They'll stand before God for what they do with the prophets. But this is my, my calling. This is what I'm about. Um, trying to think where I left off. We'll start with verse 7. The royal ministers, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed, which is not true, they didn't. I can't imagine that Daniel agreed to this, that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. 
Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. King Darius had to love this. These guys like me. They, they think I'm God. <laughs> All right. Well, okay, yeah. I'm, I, sure, why not? Let's go ahead and sign this law into place here. Now, if you're Daniel, what are you going to do? Daniel's, like I say, he's 85 years old. He's got to be thinking, you know what? I have done this over and over again. And I don't want to end by being thrown to lions for crying out. Or I don't want that to be the way it ends. You know what? It's only 30 days. It's only, only 30. It doesn't say don't pray for forever. It's only 30 days. I can, 30 days. It's probably okay for me to fast from my fasting. I can handle that for 30 days. Oh, I mean, Darius really didn't mean it. I know his heart. He was just duped by those mean people. It wasn't, it wasn't a righteous thing at all. So I can, I can handle that. Maybe I'll just like pray inside. You know what I mean? I won't demonstrate it at all. And nobody will really know, but I'll still be praying. Mm, maybe I can just like pull the shades on my windows and keep the door closed or something so that nobody really knows that this is going on. I mean, Daniel, uh, could have, could have rationalized and said, you know, I'm a pretty busy guy. I, I'm, one of the four top guys in the kingdom. I've got a high-powered job. I'm working like a dog. It might be okay for me to back off just a little bit. But verse 10. Now when Daniel learned the decree, that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before, if work comes before words, and it does, worship comes before work. Now, this, this was not a protest, right? You know, it says he didn't just hear this thing and be all upset and bent out of shape and go home. I'm going to show them, man. I'm going I'm to pray. I'm going to open the windows wide. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I don't normally get on my knees, but I'm going to get on my knees for this one. I'm just going to show them. No, no, it says that as he had done before, he'd been doing this for for last 70 years. Now, how do you think Daniel got the strength to have peace in crises? How do you think Daniel got the strength to be bold with the king? How do you think Daniel had the perspective of, of work? That Daniel had the wisdom that he had? Might it possibly be the fact that this guy spent quality time with the Lord on a regular, regular basis? He wasn't trying to flaunt it and show out. But to alter what he had been doing for the last 70 years would be bowing down to Darius, and he wasn't going to go there. So he goes up to his house, upstairs room, with the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Now let me ask you, what, what in the world is that about? Well, Daniel, very, he knows the word of God well. And in 1 Kings, that's what we see. Now this is Solomon actually Praying this, when they, when they dedicate the temple, when the temple was first built, Solomon just built it, and it's their dedication. And I think this is verse 46. It says, but when they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and give them over to their enemies, who take them captive to their own lands, far away or near. And if they have a change of heart in the land where they are held captive, and repent... And plead with you in the land of their captors and say, We have sinned, we have done wrong, we have acted wickedly. And if they turn back to you with their heart and soul in the land of their enemies who took them captive and pray to you toward this land that you gave their ancestors and toward the city that you have chosen and the temple that I have built for your name, then from heaven, your dwelling place, would you hear their prayer 
and their plea and uphold their cause. Daniel was being obedient. But, but take it a little bit further. Why do you think this, this was given? Daniel, Babylon was so Babylonish, Babylonish, whatever it is, that it just, it just uh, it, it stuck to him. It was awful. And he needed to go three times a day, get on his knees, look over the horizon, beyond Babylon, look to where his home is, where the home of God is, to who his God is. He reminded him, this, this place is not my home. My home is on the other side of the horizon over there. That's where my God is. That's what I'm living for. And Daniel, if he was going to be influential in Babylon, it had to, to be uh, where he had time, where he got together before uh, Almighty God, looking to who he was, looking to what his identity was, looking to where his home was. The home's not down here. Now, if anybody had been uh, subject to brainwashing and assimilation into the culture and their worldview, it was Daniel. But Daniel stayed strong. Why do you think? Just because he was a man of discipline? Nah, nah. Because he stayed with his God. To, to look towards Jerusalem is not just a mechanical thing. I'm just going to get up. I've got to aim this. Okay, that's right. I'm going to aim this way. It's to focus. It's what Colossians 3 says we're supposed to do. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Right? Set your, your, your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That's, that's what this is. I'm looking beyond this world. If we don't look beyond this world, we just keep looking at the Babylon, it's easy for us to recognize this is probably the end. We, we, we begin to think and act and look like and smell like a Babylonian. And we begin to look at our issues, our problems, through the eyes of one whose uh, God has failed, whose God isn't here. But when you look beyond Babylon... To the horizon, to your home. Uh, Daniel, I love this. It says that he got down on his knees. Now, you, you need to know we don't have a command to pray down on our knees. In Scripture, people pray standing up. They pray lying on their face. They pray on their knees. They pray in the belly of a whale. They pray with their hands up. They pray with their head up. They pray with their head down. There's really no set standard. This is the way you have to, you, you, you have to be. However, is this not true that when we pray on our knees, it's like a sign of something serious? I was with my, I was a youth pastor. I had my uh, leadership team, my high school kids. Uh, we were planning some big outreach. But I remember we were talking, and it became real evident as we talked that this outreach had some pretty substantial ramifications. This thing might really reach some people. And so I remember one of my kids stood up and said, We should pray. We should pray now. So he said, Okay, let's just pray now. He said, No, 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 no. We should pray on our knees. Because that's serious, right? So, okay. Um, I remember I was at Moody with a handful of guys. We were going to go out and paint Chicago red. It was a Friday night. But we figured we might as well pray before we go out for whatever reason. So we all kind of sat in the lounge. And, okay, God. An hour later, when we got up off of our knees, off of our faces, the Holy Spirit had just come. And in his presence, you know what? There's al- you almost can't be in any other position. And you know, if you've got a real serious thing that has hit you and you want to pray, I mean, this is really serious. I mean, you're out of control and this is very serious. Where do you go? You go to your knees, don't you? And so, so Daniel is in a position of, of, of submission. Now, you know, this is uh, fascinating. There's a quote I want to share with you. The uh, C.S. Lewis, he wrote the screw tape letters. Uh, screw tape letters are a uh, bunch of, of letters. This is fictional stuff, but a, a senior demon is writing to junior demons on how to trip us up. And, and this, is, this is what he says regarding, regarding prayer. 
He says the senior demon's talking to the junior demon about how to trip us up. And he says, at the very least, they, that's us, can be persuaded that the bodily position makes no difference to their prayers. For they constantly forget what you must always remember, that they are animals and that whatever their bodies do affects their souls. I don't know if I like Wormwood calling us animals, but we're holistic, aren't we? What happens on the external is affects here. And when we are in a position of prayer and our heart is right, powerful things can happen. It says here, Daniel prayed three times a day. Again, we don't have any biblical commands to pray three times a day. I got that. Matter of fact, uh, some people may say when they hear that, you know, it's kind of legalistic, isn't it? Three times, you've got to have special times to pray. I don't, I don't have any special times to pray. I pray once a day, all day. I pray without ceasing. You know, this is kind of, oh, yes, it's a prideful thing. Maybe. Again, I'm not, not advocating for three times a day. But, but let's think, let's, let's not do this. Let's not throw a legalism title on something that is just simply discipline. And then hide behind it. Hide our spiritual apathy or spiritual ignorance or spiritual um, uh, impotence, spiritual laziness behind this. Like, we got freedom, man. I don't need to do that kind of thing. Let's remember what Paul says in 1 Timothy 4. Train yourself to be godly. That sounds like discipline, doesn't it? In Luke 13, Jesus says, strive to enter through the narrow way. That's a discipline issue. In Luke 9, he says, take up your cross and follow me. I think that's discipline. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. In Philippians 2, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, I beat my body. Uh, that, that after I preach to others, I may not be disqualified. That sounds like discipline. In Romans 15, Paul says, strive together with me through prayer. It's a striving. There's a discipline. There's godliness and discipline. And yes, it can turn into legalism. Yeah, yes, 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 yes. We've all been burned in that regard. But we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater there. Discipline is not the same thing as legalism. To become godly seems to require, Scripture says, a form of discipline to train yourself accordingly. And so, when I was in sophomore in high school, I think I read uh, Elizabeth Elliot's Shadow of the Almighty. What she did is she took the uh, journals of her, her husband, the writings of her husband, who is Jim Elliot, who is one of the missionaries, Aka Five killed on the uh, banks of Uri River in Ecuador, trying to reach the Aka's cannibalistic tribe. Well, she took his writings and put it together in this book. And one of the things that, that Jim Elliot said is when he was at Wheaton College... That, that every day, early afternoon, he found that he needed to get on his knees with his heart open towards Jerusalem, as it were, to thank God for the morning, but to look forward to the afternoon and pray for help, to, to be dependent. You know what? That has been something that has made a huge impact in, in my life. And do we pray without ceasing? Yeah, 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 I, I got that. But to have those dedicated times. Jesus had to have dedicated times. The Apostle Paul had to have dedicated times. Peter had dedicated times. Daniel had dedicated times. Where no one else has our attention in our heart but our, our God. So Daniel could have rationalized. Wasn't flaunting it. But silently prayed. 
Verse 11, then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or any man except to you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? They wanted to make sure that this actually went through the court system the way it was supposed to. And the king answered and said, yes, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, aha. Daniel, they don't say who is one of your favorites, who is one of your presidents, who is one of your main guys. They don't go, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and they said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and they threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, Darius had some little bit of hope here, right? May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Daniel had words. But work before the words, worship before the work. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation may not change. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den and when he came near the lion's den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, I can imagine... Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. May God, my God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in, in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong to you, O king. Now, someone has written a creative sort of way, um, Again, this is not scripture, just so we know. But it gets the imagination going. What might Daniel have experienced? It says, as the guards closed the aperture and went their way, Daniel slid gradually to the floor of the den. The big lions that had come bounding from their caverns at the inflow of light all stopped suddenly short as a steed reined up by a powerful hand on the bridle. The initial roars died away as they formed a solid phalanx and looked towards this man who stood in their den in easy reach. There was some snorting and a little whining, and some of them turned around and went back to their caverns. Others of the great beasts yawned and lay down on the floor, but not one made a move in advance toward his visitor. Thanks be unto Jehovah, breathed the prophet. He stopped the mouths of these fierce beasts, and they will do me no harm. He sat down on the floor of the den and leaned his back against the wall to make himself comfortable for the night. Soon two cub lions moved in his direction, not stealthily or crouching as though to make an attack, but in obvious friendliness. One lay on each side of Daniel as though to give him warmth and protection in the chilly dungeon. Presently their mother and old lioness crept over and lay in front of the prophet. He gently stroked their backs as they each turned their heads and licked his hand. Enclosed by the lioness and her cubs, the head of the patriarch was gradually pillowed on the back of one of the cubs as the four slept soundly in perfect peace and tranquility. Maybe. But I think the author missed this. The important thing wasn't that Daniel spent the night with lions. What does he say? My God sent his angel. 
Does that remind you of chapter 3? Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego in the furnace. And God sent his angel to protect, to deliver. I'm assuming it's the same person. I'm assuming it's the pre-incarnate Jesus. It wasn't such a cool thing that Daniel spent the night with lions as much as he spent the night with the Son of God. He got to be with the Son of God. Who knows what they talked about all, all night. Experienced that. Now, we're not going to read the rest of the, the text because of time, but just so you know, Darius is loving this. He brings in all the accusers who thought they had Daniel. He puts them into the lion's den. Um, it lets us know uh, that the uh, lions were not so well fed that they weren't hungry because they pounced on these people before they hit the ground. Uh, then Darius uh, praises, praises God. Now, one of the, the key messages in the book of Daniel, for those of us who live in Babylon, we all, we all do, is um, we are to worship our God whatever, whatever it, it costs. Okay? Uh, even if it costs us everything, we're to worship him. Right? But if that's the only message we get from this book, I don't think we're prepared to live in Babylon. Because the second message is Daniel worshipped his God, served his God, uh, not only even if it cost him everything, but even if it changed nothing. Now I can see Daniel, he's, he's 85 years old, saying, you know what, my life has been a failure. Um, yeah, I've had a couple of kings listen to me, but to our knowledge there's been no revival in Babylon. The court is still just as corrupt and crude as it's ever been. Uh, he, Israel is no better off. The, the nation of Israel was going to, some of them would go back, but they would have forgot the language, which mean they, meant they were not studying the word of God. They would go back so ignorant that they wouldn't even understand the scriptures any, anymore. It's interesting, the command that you can't pray, what happened to the rest of the Israelites who were there? Is Daniel the only one who decided to defy it and pray? No one else was, was there. No one else came to Daniel's offense, defense when they were ready to throw him in. He's got to be feeling lonely. I've wasted my life. I'm in a foreign land. I've, I've wasted my time trying to be faithful. And now I'm going to go out like, like this. He's got to be feeling like life is... When we are at our work and we are striving to be salt and light. I mean, I, I can sacrifice a lot, a lot, if I think that it's going to make an impact. I think most people are like that. But if you're thinking it's useless, what does it matter? And the people just mock you, and the people uh, are just as uh, uh, perverted or anti-God or th- as they've ever been, and it continues to grow, and, and it, you just say, what's the use? Well, it's easy to serve God when uh, there's going to be an influence. It's hard to serve God when we think it's not going to change anything. Listen... Where you're at, if you feel like it makes no difference. You know what? On a human level, it may not. But from God's perspective, perspective, it certainly does. Now let me share this with you because this is so huge. To, to our knowledge, this is the last we hear of Daniel in Daniel 6. Um, 7 through 12 are kind of written during this time. But this is the last we see. To our knowledge, Daniel died before he ever saw his people go back. But let me read this from Isaiah. So Isaiah 44, i got to tell you, Isaiah wrote around 700. We're at about 538, 537 in Daniel 6. So there's, there's, there's a couple hundred years almost between the two. 
Isaiah 24 says, chapter 44, verse 24 says, This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord who has made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. And then verse 28, he says, this is God speaking, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt. And of the temple, let its foundations be laid. Now, keep in mind, he's writing this in about 700. Jerusalem didn't get clobbered until 586. So when he's writing this, people got to be looking at him. Isaiah, what are you talking about? Let Jerusalem be rebuilt. It's built. What are you saying? Let it be re-inhabited. It's inhabited. But he's prophesying here. And, and they got to be thinking, and who is Cyrus? 45.1. This is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus whose right hand I take hold of to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armor to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. I will go before you and will level the mountains. I will break down the gates of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness, riches stored in secret places so that you might know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. For the sake of Jacob, my servant of Israel, my chosen, I summon you by name and bestow on you a title of honor, though you do not acknowledge me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me. It's said that what Daniel did, because he, he, he rose in prominence, because his, his worship was first and then his work, he did have the words and he came to Cyrus and he showed Cyrus this passage and says, Cyrus, listen, your name, you are mentioned in our holy books. And he showed Cyrus the passage in Jeremiah that we talked about last week that says after 70 years, the people have to, are, are, are to go back. And so Cyrus, looking at all of this, in Second Chronicles 36, he says this, I think 20, verse 22, it says, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, that they could go home after 70 years, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, the king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he's appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any one of his people among you, may the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. It's interesting, 1879, excavating Babylon, they found something that they call the, the Cyrus Cylinder, which is King Cyrus's journal. It's housed today in the British Museum. But on Cyrus's cylinder, the journals of Cyrus, what he says is that the Babylonians and the, Pers- and the Assyrians, their, their policy was they were going to take everyone exile. Persia decided to go a different route. He says in his cylinder that his goal was to let all the people go back and let them go back to their homeland and let them rebuild the temples of their gods because if he did this, Cyrus is hoping that all, all of these other gods will like him as well. He will get blessing. That's what he said in his, in his cylinder, uh, validating, again, scripture. But it's interesting, Daniel would not have had that kind of influence on Cyrus unless... He, he was consistent, regular, on his knees before his God looking to Jerusalem. He would not have had this, this influence on Cyrus if his work did not distinguish him and he did not work as unto the Lord completely. And because of that, God opened up the opportunity and the time for the words to be there. And when, when, when he did, 
Daniel spoke them. This is the only way for us to make it in Babylon. Have a worship first. A work. It's working for the secular employment. Second, everything we've got is unto him. And then to have the words when the opportunity presents themselves. Would you pray with me? Lord, you called us here. You put us in this place at this time in history. And you're very aware of where our, our country is. And maybe we feel like more that we're in, in Babylon today than we ever have. Between uh, betrayed or whatever else, but I can't imagine, oh God, what you sense. Lord, you've placed us here that we might have an influence. May first, Father, would you remind me, would you remind my brothers and sisters that in our private times, would we carve out time to pray to be with you, to look towards Jerusalem, to center our hearts and minds on your word and who we are in you. Oh God, may we we exercise discipline, may you infuse us with that. And then God, in our workplaces, may we work as unto you. If any, any apologies need to be made, God, may we, we, we do that. Any, any uh, habits need to be altered that we may honor you at our work. May we, we do that. Lord, that, that Jesus may be exalted there. I, I, would, I would pray that. And then, oh, Father, if you would open up opportunities for us to speak and for us to share, for us to proclaim who you are and what you're about. Uh, Lord, may we be bold and sensitive and wise and and do that. Lord, thank you. Thank you again for for your church. Thank you for letting us be a part of it. And God, as we would take up this offering now, would you be pleased, Lord, to use it for the furtherance of your kingdom in Erie, in the United States, and in the world. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.